On this episode of Playtime, the great Carla Bonoff returns ahead of her Home for the Holidays show at Skokie's North Shore Center for the Performing Arts with special guest Livingston Taylor. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. Isn't it nice that we can dream of all the places we can't see? Fly over oceans wide Do all the things we never try And isn't it strange how you can go Back to a home you've never known It's like you were there before A place you've been searching for Hi, Carla. How are you? Very well. How are you? Good. Welcome back to Playtime, by the way. Thank you. We're, we're bigger and better. Who am I kidding? Um, I, I, I sort of miss uh, doing live radio, but I don't miss not getting to spend adequate time with the guests, with the with the heartbreaks and uh, and and the the drops and everything else and the reads. You know, you, you get to you get to a point where it's like you spend six minutes with somebody that you could really have a nice conversation with, and uh, uh, so I, I'm I'm enjoying podcasting right now. Even though you look great, and the house uh, as always looks looks awesome. I, I always love the piano in the uh, in the background there. So thank you, and all your paintings look beautiful too. Thank you, thank you. We're uh, uh it's this is this is my studio area as well writing and 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 all that so i sort of miss live radio but i don't not miss spending time with the guests uh especially when we're talking with somebody overseas which which i do quite often and when we were on the radio we spoke with uh with trevor horn in london and the and the poor guy had fallen asleep uh because of the time difference and and I, it was and and he was wonderfully gracious when he awakened live on the air. This this feels more hospitable because I you know I I can adjust the times and you know I, I and I can I can kind of meet their uh, their schedule with a little bit more comfort level. So uh, I I do need to do a, a quick shout out to a dear dear friend. Uh, I posted our last interview and posted a uh, 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 something about the uh, the upcoming concert here in Chicago that you're going to be doing, uh, or in Skokie, rather. And uh, a dear, dear friend, George Rollinson, said that he's a huge, huge fan of yours and is looking forward to the show in December. So Great. Is it too soon to wish you a happy birthday, by the way? Yes, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. that's all after Christmas and when things are calmed down. And at this point in life, you're not really like fo- too focused on the birthdays, you know. It's it's kind of a mile marker, but yeah, I I, I definitely get that. And and I wanted to ask you this: How long do you intend on cashing in on the daughters of Chester P? I don't cash in on them. I <laughs> wish I could have cashed in on them. I mentioned that sometimes in my show, because people really don't know that I played first with my sister at the Troubadour like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's kind of an unknown little tidbit. And probably probably a lot of people don't know that you also recorded 11 songs with uh, the legendary Doors engineer, uh, Bruce Botnick. Right. Uh, were, were any of those songs ever released or ever re-recorded? Has the world heard any of those songs? No, I mean, they were just on this one demo tape, and it was a okay. tape, and then I think we put it on a cassette, and somehow I've saved it, but we were really young. I mean, I don't think, um, I mean, it would be interesting maybe just for a fan to hear, but yeah, that's something I would have been ready to release, really. We were just little kids, pretty much. I was like 16, 17, so. I, I can um, say as a fan, uh, Martin Barr is a dear, dear friend. Uh, we've had a number of conversations on this podcast. <laughs> One of the previous conversations, he was in a band before Jethro Tull called the Penny Peeps. And and I managed to track down uh, a couple of recordings, which surprised Martin because he just he was carrying around old acetate recordings of, of these of these songs. But there was really kind of a an inkling of what was to come when when he joined Jethro Tull. And and so I, I just found it absolutely fascinating. Well, I mean, I can, you know, I wrote in that, with my sister, I wrote all the music. I didn't write lyrics. And so I can listen to the music and go, yeah, that was a person that was, you know, musically um, advanced for her age and was writing, you know, starting to write really good melodies and pretty melodies. And um, so, I mean, I can see where that was coming from. Um, it wasn't real basic. I mean, it was a lot of complicated chord structure and stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but I think the songs themselves were not really, I don't know. My sister was more of a poet than a lyricist. So they were very flowery and, oh. you know, kind of a little bit cringy probably now. <laughs> But but as artists as artists we're always on a learning curve, right? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I've I've done things that that I look back on that I've I've grown through and grown beyond. But those those things were also part of of that that process. Yeah, I wish I had the actual whatever. Probably it was just an eight track tape or four track. I wish I could have that so we could kind of mix it. That would be fun, but. Um, I don't. I just have like a terrible kind of cassette copy that somebody digitized. So that's all I, I have. It. Yeah, yeah. We should let everyone know that Carla Bonoff is coming to suburban Chicago for one night only Wednesday, December 6th at 7.30 with special guest Livingston Taylor to the North Shore Center for the Performing Arts in Skokie. Uh, the, price of, the price of admission uh, would be worth either of you. And, and they're getting... Both of you. Uh, the Home for the Holidays tour, uh, also uh, for all things Carla Bonoff. Uh, her website is carlabonoff.com. You've got you've got a hell of a fan base. One of of my most successful podcasts was with you. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I was uh, I I was surprised and amazed. Have you been? Uh, I, I know. I know. Last time we talked. You were getting ready for for a tour that was going to bring you to City Winery here in Chicago. Have you been to the North Shore Center for the Performing Arts? No, this will be first for us because I think it's um, it's a bigger place than I usually play. But with Livingston, yeah. we can go into a bigger venue like that. Uh huh. 
Well, how 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 big is City Winery? Because I, I I thought that held, I don't know, five seven hundred people, right? No, I don't think it's quite that big. I think okay. it's probably three or four. Yeah, we are coming back. I did see that. That's on the calendar for next uh, spring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, North Shore holds about nine hundred people. I, I just I just saw a dear dear friend of mine, Ronnie Marmo, who lives out your way, for his one man show. I'm not a comedian. I'm Lenny Bruce. He he did with um, Joe Montagna at the North Shore, and I was I was really really impressed with the acoustics. I got to move around and hear the show from different vantage points, and boy, there's there's not a bad seat in that house. View. Oh, that's good. Good. Yeah, we're excited about that one. That's the first stop on our our little two week run. I, I should also me- mention your your sumptuous song uh, from twenty twenty one, which we spent a good amount of time with on the last uh, the last time you were on "Night Full of Rain," which just gets better and better with each listen. Headlights burn straight through the dark. You look out the window away from me Colds measured by degree As we cross this barren land Wide as the sea where hearts disappear Or the distance between what we say and hear Is that going to become part of a, a, a bigger album at some point? Uh, probably. I mean, if I do another CD, which is always questionable, but I would certainly put it on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we just added a new song to the um, to the Silent Night LP this year and yeah. um, got them all together on one CD because we kept adding every year since we did it. So now it's all on one disc for anybody that still has a disc player. <laughs> Uh, but even if they don't, um, it's it's uh, uh, an incredible. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Um, I I wanted to go here though. Uh, first of all, I'm eternally curious about where an artist's creativity and inspiration comes from. I talked about it for years on this program, uh, and my wife Anna has uh, has always sort of tolerated my musings. Last week, she began writing her novel, Rum- the, which has been ruminating inside her for. A while. And she said she finally understood what I meant about art coming from some other place uh, in our consciousness or or maybe outside of our consciousness. I think I think you asked about that last time we spoke, but I'm curious if if those epiphanies and inspiration are are a flood for you or if you can pick and choose and and is that ability dependent upon your technical skill as an artist? And after after that question, I need an app. <laughs> you know, I never had a flood of stuff like that. Like I imagine someone like Taylor Swift appears to, you know, if for someone that writes as much as that, that's gotta be a flood, right? All the time. I mean, it's sort of, she needs to do that just to sort of yeah. feel grounded every day. For me, it never, unfortunately been like that I could kind of take it or leave it 
So it's sort of more of a thing that I have to push myself to do mm-hmm. and push myself to be in the room and, um, and then maybe something will happen. Maybe it won't. So uh, for me, it's always been kind of a combination of discipline and then hoping, you know, when I get there, like you say, that thing that happens from yeah. your conscious or outside of you will somehow channel through you. And there's so many things that tend to stop that from your cat needing to eat to, <laughs> you know, your self-criticism or whatever it is that sort mm-hmm. of interrupts that flow. Yeah, it's always been kind of a mystery to me where, you know, every now and then that door just unlocks and stuff yeah. comes out. Yeah. But you you so you wrote all those great songs for Linda Ronstadt. Were were you straining to write each note and lyric or or did or did those songs flow through you? And why did those songs resonate with so many people unlike a million other songs? Well, you know, I was writing them for me. I was lucky that Linda recorded them, but um, I wasn't writing them for her per se. But I was very aware of the kinds of songs that she was liking to record and certainly was aspiring to write something like J.D. Souther's Faithless Love or Prisoner in Disguise or, you know, so I was hoping I could write something that good that she might want to record. Um, and so I think when I wrote Lose Again, I was kind of trying to visualize something that she could sing. Save me, me from my heart this time. with the other one someone to lay down beside me not really and if he's ever near was just came out of somewhere else but i forgot what your question was (laughs) well well i i guess i wanted i wanted to to explore a bit the nature of of a hit song and and how those songs resonate with with people and make a hit um is is there a technical ability that you know, or, or a structural, structural component that, that you as an artist can master? What, what, how does, how does that work for? I don't know. I mean, I think for me, it's just kind of an innate thing. I sort of know, I know song structure just in my body and I know how it's supposed to go. And I think I have, have kind of, because of my influences that are very much pop oriented in a lot of ways from when I was younger, Mm-hmm. I just, um, you know, was a big fan of the pop song of Carole King or Beatles or, you know, that's what I grew up Motown listening to. So I think that forms your song sense. I don't know if it's technical so much because, I mean, it's a lot of great songs are written by people that just pick out a few chords on the piano. 
On the other hand, I think someone like Diane Warren may really have a formula. I've never really talked to her about it, but you know, maybe she does, or maybe she just writes those songs naturally. I don't know. So, so you don't think that there's necessarily a, a formula and, and so once, once a person, maybe a computer learns to learns that, that formula, that algorithm that they have a guaranteed hit. No, because I think it's, it's a combination of the you know, the the good melody and the good chorus, but yeah. also there has to be some kind of soul in there, I think, for people to relate to it. If it doesn't come from, like we were talking about, that sort of deeper place where, I think, you know, where there's some real emotion in it. Traveling at night, the headlights were bright, and we'd been up many an hour. All through my brain came the refrain of home and its warm and fire. And home sings me of sweet things. My life there has its own wings. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, you're a, you're a cat person. I am. I have three. Nice, perfect. We have we have three here as as well. Three rescue cats, uh, and and one of them named Baby Boy uh, likes to plant himself right here on the desk, right in front of me whenever I write. Do do your cats help you create in any way? You know, they're kind of scared of the piano. Really. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. And then I have one that likes to get inside the piano and start plucking the strings. <laughs> uh-huh. I have to like cover everything because he does that like to get my attention and drive me nuts. And it does. That's yep. baby boy. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that if you're, you know, you're not paying attention to me. So I'm going to do something I know you hate. Um, so I have a little bit of that. But normally they're um, once that starts happening, they leave the room and go lay in the sun somewhere. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but but that that plucking hasn't uh, inspired a a song or uh, a chorus or or any of that, huh? No, because I'm usually screaming at him. Because <laughs> I, I think he's going to ruin my Yamaha piano by doing that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I have to say, after after our last conversation, my wife had never heard of you. We met in Sarajevo during during the siege. Uh, and so she she grew up on on Yugoslav folk music, Georgi Balashevic and Oliver Dragojevic. But boy, one one listening to to carry me home, uh, your uh, your uh, twenty nineteen masterpiece, um, she was hooked. And hooked. Oh, that's nice. To be honest, though, uh, you had her with uh, with Bonnie Raitt. Oh, good with home. Yeah, so she was she was a big Bonnie Raitt fan. When she got here, I, I introduced her to a, a lot of different music, and boy, Bonnie Raitt just clicked with her. And uh, you you famously wrote a wrote a song for for Bonnie. Yeah, that was actually the first song of mine really recorded by anybody before yeah. Linda. 
Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you this last time we spoke. Um, you famously, as we've mentioned, you famously wrote for Linda Ronstadt. I'd love to know how you handled your your work getting eclipsed sort of um, by her superstardom. Uh, or was that even a consideration on your part? You know, the way that it kind of happened, it, it wasn't something that I could foresee. I mean, I was a starving songwriter. Um, I was around Linda because Kenny Edwards was my boyfriend and he was playing bass with her. And, yeah. you know, I was writing songs. And at that from that vantage point, it was like, um, you know, I was playing solo and playing at the Troubadour and stuff, but I mean, I didn't really have a record deal yet. And so who knew if I ever would have a record deal, frankly. And um, I thought of myself as a songwriter. And so, you know, and I have these opportunities to go, hey, you know, maybe I should play this for Linda. Maybe Kenny should take this cassette to her. I mean, why wouldn't I do that? I mean, I, you know, to have Linda record one of your songs at that point would be life changing. Mm-hmm. for me if nothing else were to ever happen for me so that kind of came down and then within six months of that I did get signed to Columbia Records and because I didn't write didn't have a hundred songs it wasn't like I could go just record a whole bunch of different songs than she recorded I'd given her like three of my best ones mm-hmm. so I was in that situation really that I guess I'd kind of created out of a choice um okay well now I'm going to record them myself but I guess I felt well I'm the songwriter you know I like hearing Jackson Brown sing his songs more than anybody else sing them so you know I'm gonna have to believe that you know coming from me it's going to be different and some people will prefer it and some people won't um what I couldn't predict though was sort of the confusion thing that happened um when I first went out on the road opening for Jackson Brown after my first record came out and I would go out on stage and play those songs all it hit me about three nights in. I went, these people think I'm covering Linda Ronstadt songs. They don't under, they don't realize I wrote them. Nobody really reads the credits or the liner notes. And yeah. so that was a little disheartening because I went, Oh my God, I just thought people would know, but they don't. So I had to kind of explain that. So, I mean, I think what you're saying in retrospect is, yeah, it was, Linda kind of got a lot of mileage out of those songs that maybe I didn't. On the other hand, you could also say, Mm -hmm. if I made that record with those songs and Linda had never recorded them, would that record have gotten as much attention as it did? Yeah, there's there's some there's some give and play there that uh, that I think is uh, is important to to both your your uh, your music uh, and uh, and your sound, but also uh, also that her contribution, it, it sort of creates this sort of circular feedback loop, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, a lot of first artists come out with records and they just fail and they never hear from them again. So yeah. that was the risk I took. I could have just saved those songs for me and then nothing could have ever happened with them. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's always that financial thing to consider when you're really starving and you don't want to go work at 7-Eleven <laughs> and Linda Ronstadt wants to record your song. You know, are you going to say no? Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was one of those right place at right time for uh, for both of you guys. Right. Yeah. You're touring with, uh, with Livingston Taylor, uh, who has this great 
James Taylor's sound uh, and style, a bit gentler and subtler, in, in my opinion, uh, than Mr. Taylor. Uh, and I'm thinking of his song, Get Out of Bed. There's a together on a show um, somewhere, um, co-billing, and we became friends that way. And um, and then I suggested, you know, it went really well, and it seemed like our audiences were, you know, kind of copacetic, and sometimes those co-bills don't work because you have audiences that don't like the yeah. other person's music. But it seemed like it really was, I went, oh, this is a good co-bill, and we should do more of this. So um the agents just started putting us on some more things together so it kind of evolved that way you guys sort of have a sympathetic sound yeah and um kind of a at the same place sort of in our ability to sell tickets and play in the same kind of places and so it kind of works on a lot of different levels just Mm -hmm. you know just economically and sort of creatively and um, and sometimes it's hard to find someone that you want to go out and play with like that, that has all those pieces that are going to work. And he's also really easy, easy to work with and easygoing. And he's very undemanding and fun to be around. Yeah, it's got to be like a marriage. Yeah. 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 But where, where those where those equal parts sort of come together uh, and complement one another with with maybe a little bit of competition not really no it's so different in some ways so that we each have our own little kind of niche and then it's been fun doing some music together um that's part's been really fun for me singing on a couple of his songs and he sings on mine and Mm -hmm. um just it's it's fun you know when you've been doing this for 45 years sometimes it's good to just sort of inject some new energy into things and yeah different Last time we spoke, uh, we talked a little bit about your critically acclaimed uh, 2020 holiday album, Silent Night. 
which featured guest vocals by Michael McDonald. It's been a strange couple of years, particularly for live music, that has everybody new and established really kind of hustling. Um, have you played these songs live before? Um, we've played some of them. Um, some of them um, I did. Well, last year we did the holiday tour. So huh? I chose some of the ones out of there that I like the best. And so we did River and we did Silent Night and huh? the Christmas song. That's how that one got started. And um, so and then we threw in just some stuff that's not on the record, too, just for fun. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, some of them some of them are harder to kind of do than others. And I think people's tolerance, you know, we don't do like a whole show of Christmas music that that would get kind of old. We just kind of drop them in with our other stuff. Okay. Okay. Even, even though it's, it's such a beautiful album and a lot of these songs have that message of hope and love and family and even melancholy that I, I don't think that they necessarily all feel like overt holiday songs. Right. Well, I knew if I made a holiday record, it wasn't going to be all up and cheerful, and, you know, because my tastes run towards some of these things like river and in the bleak midwinter and yeah. um, things that, you know, we had to put some of those up tempo ones in there just to kind of break it up. But, you know, I was hoping that it would still feel like a Carla Bonoff album in some way and not like a throwaway thing, you know. Oh, it, it absolutely does. Absolutely does. And and I, I can see it working. Uh, I can see it working with with your your other material, your non-holiday material it, seamlessly. Yeah, it does seem to, you know, like I said, we did it last year and the couple the ones that we put in there worked really mm -hmm. well. And I think this year, this year we added, we've been adding a new song to it every year. We did the um the Christmas right. song by Mel Torme. And so we'll be doing that one. And um, you know, Liv has some stuff that he does that he's written that's Christmas. So it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh Steve uh Steve Torme is a uh, is a dear dear friend. Uh lives up in in northern Wisconsin here and we've we we've talked a bunch. Uh I think he he'd be thrilled to uh to know that uh, I'll probably drop him a line uh and a bit about the um uh, about the show and and that and see if see if we can get him down here. Who knows. You must be tired of telling this story, but I love it every time I hear it. Mr. McDonald joins you on a particularly emotional and poignant song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, on the new album, Silent Night. O come, lucky of David, come and open wide How did that song come to be on this album and how did Michael uh, come to be on that song? 
I first just did it with me singing the whole thing. I mean, for me to find the Christmas music that I wanted to record wasn't always that easy. Um, a lot of the stuff to me was just like, I don't want to do Santa Claus is coming to town and jingle bells. And so I was leaning towards these darker things like that. But you, or, you, you do do Silent Night and it has it has that Carla Bonoff soft country texture. And that is that arrangement is, you know, I have to credit Sean McHugh, who co-produced this with me with that arrangement, because that's totally him. And he came up with that approach to that which was really cool and that was like the second thing that we recorded so that kind of set the tone for what we were trying to do like let's do these but let's let's try to have a new take on some of these and make them interesting and more cool so so we recorded all come all come Emmanuel and we were listening to it and you know it has all those verses and Sean was like god this could be cool if it was a duet you could get someone else to sing it and I was like yeah but who and I think we were still in the COVID time, so it wasn't that easy to just, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. He said, What about Michael McDonald? I said, Oh, he won't want to do that. He goes, just email him, see if he wants to do it. And I was like, Really? I mean, I'm always so shy about that. And I emailed him and he just said, Yeah, sure. I'd love to do it. So we sent him a little copy of what we had, and he's got such an incredible range that yeah. we didn't have to change the key or anything. He could just sing in the same key we'd already recorded for me. Um, so he came and just walked in and just, you know, took him about 30 minutes and sang the thing and then drove off and said, bye, see ya. <laughs> so it was really easy and really wonderful. So I need to, you know, I'm a little shy about asking people to do things and it kind of made me realize now I, I really need to just ask because people usually will say yes. There's a solemnity to that song and everything uh, that's going on in the world in the Middle East. It is why I think that song is especially powerful with these rivers of history and music all converging on this holiday season. Um, do do you feel that that power and that reverence from, from that song? Rejoice, rejoice, shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Yeah, especially now. I mean, I think you're right. It's this year, it's kind of taken on a new power, you know, that song in particular. So I'm really glad we recorded that one. Um, among the songs on this beautiful collection uh, is River by Joni Mitchell. Uh, what was it about that song in particular that, which which I think is, aside from aside from the, the other standards, is really the only cover on, on the... Um, on the album, right? It's coming on Christmas They're cutting down trees They're putting up reindeer And singing songs of joy and peace I wish I had a river 
song by a songwriter about Christmas that I've ever come across. I think that's one of the best Christmas songs there is. And it really speaks to that thing of, you know, being alone at Christmas or, you know, having, you know, being lonely at Christmas. And, you know, I mean, once again, I gravitate towards those more emotional, but I think that that's how a lot of people feel at Christmas. And I think, as I recall, maybe she had just ended a relationship and then it was Christmas and that's how she was kind of feeling really alone. So I don't know, I think, and people, it's just such an amazing song. How can you not record that on a Christmas yeah. album? Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And, and, and I, I think you do the definitive uh, version of that song. If I can, if I can just throw that in here. Oh, thank uh, you. I, I think the magic of this album are the uncommon selections like Coventry Carol? What 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 was it about that song? Christmas music and you know we really didn't set out to make a CD like this that was just we were messing around and just it was COVID and Sean yep. said why don't you come up and we'll just why don't we put out one song for Christmas because we could just release one song on you know we can just do put it out there let's just do one and um and so that he came up with the Silent Night idea and we were just doing it to stay busy and to 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 just have something to do because we were so isolated. And so I think I really wasn't planning on a Christmas or a holiday CD. And so we just did that one. And then I had, once we started, he said, let's do another one. Let's, and we just started doing them. So every day I would look for some, oh, let me find something else we can do. So I hadn't ever really thought about it. So it was just a process of, oh, I mean, I never heard Coventry Carol. It was a new song to me. So I was trying to find stuff I could relate to that I felt I could um, kind of do something to that would be, like I said, not to like something throwaway. But it, it it's it, it has that uh, that quiet 
note thread through throughout the entire album. Even the upbeat stuff has has this peacefulness, um, which I, I think is is really a strong characteristic of the album. I, I'm thinking of it came upon a midnight clear in the first Noel. Um, both of those those songs come together just just beautifully. forever and ever and ever it was never really released it was on a promotional um brindle uh cd but yeah. um so we pretty much just copied the arrangement that andrew gold had done on that so we re-recorded that and the first noel i had recorded back in the 80s on a, a charity album called the stars come out for christmas and shockingly it was like played every year for the last 35 years all the time and I thought, you know, we I don't really own it or anything because I just kind of gave it away at the time. And so I thought that I should do my own version of it. So that was another thing. We just thought, well, let's just re-record it so that I have my version of it as well. Nice. Very nice. It's, it's, a, it's a gorgeous song. Uh, and, and, you know, you would never know that, that kind of in your words, that this is, this is sort of a mishmash album uh from from the 80s and kenny edwards and uh and joni mitchell and all that um that it really feels like there was a cohesive vision to the to the album and to the album coming together which i think speaks to you uh speaks strongly to you as a uh as as a composer and a musician well thank you i appreciate that and once again i think you know having a producer like Sean who played a lot of the instruments on that yeah, yeah. Um, and really put together a lot of the shape of how it worked is, you know, he's, I couldn't do that without him. Yeah. So let me, let me end here. Um, Skokie, which is just a few minutes from my front door uh, is also home to a historically significant Jewish population. Um, you, you come from, from a Jewish heritage, Natalie and Judith Renan, who were just held by Hamas recently uh, are from neighboring Evanston, which is sort of juxtaposed between here and Skokie. Um, did your did your heritage factor at all in the decision to play at North Shore Center? Um, you know, it just kind of came up as a, you know, I think the offer came for Liv and I to play there, not really even for a holiday show, just to do a co-bill there Okay. on that date. And so we just took that show and then we built the holiday tour onto that. So yeah. it's, yeah. the one at Skokie really isn't 
a, a Christmas holiday show per se. We may play a few things, but yeah. um, so really it was just, you know, like you're an artist and your agent calls you up and goes, do you want to play this place? So we didn't really know anything going into it. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, definitely, definitely the last question. Uh, seeing I'm an author and a host of a podcast for the Chicago Writers Association, uh, you've lived a life and gained some perspectives on fame and success and loss even. Um, have you ever considered writing your memoirs? Yeah, I just don't. I don't know. My heart wouldn't be in that. I don't think there's enough. I don't feel like there's enough. I think I had too many years of inactivity and um i had a chunk of time in the 80s where i was not really working very much and so i don't know i think it would be kind of short and and then there's a lot of things that are private and i don't know it just seems um i don't think so no all right all right i i had to <laughs> add yes is a it's a great story uh leo sayer is a is a friend uh he sent me his unpublished uh uh memoir um and uh, unfortunately he's he's ill right now but um uh -huh. so uh, you know i'm i'm always cognizant of of those those stories from uh from from artists to to sort of impart their their view and their their perspective and the story of their life so the, the only thing i would say and this is this is totally me being completely selfish don't write it off completely it's a good, okay. yeah, maybe, great story. Yeah, it might be something when I've stopped touring that I would consider. It's um, when you're still working and touring a lot, that's pretty consuming. And um, I don't know, I just don't feel like I even have the time right now. Maybe later yeah. when I'm kind of stuck in front of the fireplace. And and I say that with, with this reservation, because I've, I've spoken with a lot of people writing their memoirs, who have written their memoirs. It can be it can be jolting. It can be, it can be tough. Um, and so it's not necessarily for everyone. Uh, my brother did two tours in Afghanistan, but can't write that. He, 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 he can't write a word about it. And then a, uh, another dear friend of ours, Tony story, uh, has been, been working on his memoir, uh, from his, his, uh, travails in Iraq, but there, there are a lot of, it, it can be it can be very tough. It can be very tough on 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 how you render people who you love or have loved, and you want to render them honestly. Uh, and sometimes that can be embarrassing or painful for those people or or for their loved ones. And it's it's not an easy decision. So right. uh, no no pressure on on this side. Uh, but Carla Bonoff's home for the holidays tour comes to suburban Chicago with very special guest Livingston Taylor. The price of a ticket would be would be well worth uh, if for just one of those great artists. Carla Bonoff, a true music legend, visits North Shore Center for the Performing Arts in Skokie for one night only Wednesday, December 6th at 7.30. And for all things Carla Bonoff, her website is carlabonoff.com. And I will post links for all of those, for your one-stop shop. Uh, Carla, thank you so much. I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. It was fun. It is a special night And the stars are all shining bright And my special thanks to Carla Bonoff 
and to all of you who listened. Please help support this program simply by hitting the subscribe button to receive future notifications about programs and guests. For Playtime, I'm W.C. Turk. Yes, it's been another year At Christmas time It all comes clear Have no fear Cause everybody's home Tonight And you know everything Tonight